When Jeffrey Bowman sat down at the table for our art scene talk, I asked before we started what music he enjoyed. He thought a bit and said, Miles. Miles Davis, the legendary jazz musician and band leader. It's interesting that Davis is often pointed to as a model for creative types and leaders in the world of business. Geeknack tells us in an article from 2021 that one of the best-selling jazz albums of all time, Kind of Blue, represented not only a radical change of sound for Miles Davis, but for jazz music as a whole. Although the album's timeless tunes and incandescent performances could provide a lifetime of study for students of jazz, it also has much to teach us about leadership, collaboration, and creativity. During the Kind of Blue sessions, Miles Davis found a powerful combination of transformational and facilitative leadership, which he would continue to use for the rest of his life as a band leader to reinvent himself and create one breakthrough in music after another. And as critic Gerald Early notes, Davis had an incredible work ethic from the time he was a child. There's certainly no direct connection between Jeffrey Bowman and Miles Davis, but to use a word close to Miles' heart, cool, it's cool to observe the similarities as we meet Jeffrey Bowman, who brings all that he's learned in his career in the corporate world to his understanding of the arts and culture in America. Jeffrey Bowman is co-founder and CEO of Reframe award-winning author with a book of that title, Reframe, and his work has been featured in the New York Times, The Economist, on NBC, and he speaks around the country and internationally. Jeffrey Bowman was the keynote speaker for the 2023 Art Scene Conference held September 19th here at the WVIA Public Media Center. We had a chance to speak with him beforehand about his background and how he would be challenging us in his talk titled Why Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion Will Not Be Enough to Save Arts and Culture, How to Future-Proof Arts and Culture. As part of the conference, Jeffrey joined a panel on the topic that was recorded by WVIA-TV for airing this evening on a special edition of Keystone Edition Arts at 7 o'clock. In anticipation of this evening's program, we want to share some of our art scene conversation with Jeffrey Bowman, and we begin with his early view of the world and how it was shaped. I grew up in the upstate part of South Carolina, in Spartanburg, South Carolina. Greenville, Spartanburg is like on the map in terms of growth, but it was a very industrial and manufacturing-based economy. My mother, my grandmother... Uh, uncles all worked in manufacturing. And and when you think about uh, the tenor of the country in the 70s and 80s, I was, you know, a 1970 baby. But it was all centered around offshoring, the impact it was going to have because textile was a major industry in the upstate. And so manufacturing as it doesn't exist today was heavily influenced in terms of everything that I heard in terms of the shift, first, second, third shift. So my family played a huge impact in terms of understanding work and getting up real early in the morning and doing a job and coming home. And so 
you know, probably the biggest part that I'll, I'll say to anyone that you're never really going to outwork me. And so that's a huge pillar in terms of what has made uh, this work as well as all the other things critically important, the work ethic. Listening to the radio, Bill Drake on the public station, NPR as well as some of the others played a huge part because that's, that's how I woke up, uh, listening to the music and listening you know, to conversations. And that informed my intelligence in terms of issues and events that were happening. So all of that played the background in terms of uh, who I would become today, and, and that is champion causes, champion things for change. Because, you know, I tell people politically, you know, when you think about South Carolina, Strong Thurmond, the Dixiecrats, huge Republican influence. However, when you think about the automotive strike today, the automotive industry saved our economy and places and spaces that my parents work as well as relatives because Carol Campbell, Republican governor, got, one could argue, the blueprint for how do you get automotive companies to come south. BMW is the headquarters is in Spartanburg, South Carolina. So that's my background in terms of understanding globalization right there in my backyard as I was forming as a whole. So that's... You're not going to outwork me. Uh, embedded in change, and then globalization, the impact it has on communities. Those are the three. But was there an epiphany at some point when you're going to school yeah. or being Absolutely. recruited to be yeah. on the team at, yeah. at the corporation level? So think about what I just shared with you as relates to manufacturing. The fear I had is that I would end up in manufacturing right, and be a part of the dynamic shift that was happening. So I went to historically black college and university, South Carolina State. I uh, was the first to graduate from my family from university. But because of that work ethic, I said I was going to get an internship my first year because I didn't want to go back to where? The plant. And Robert Hemby saw my passion, commitment, uh, may rest in peace, but um, Mr. Hemby said, you're a little too young and early, but if someone doesn't show up for an interview, you'll be the first I call. So no text, no mobile phone. That call came at about 645. Said Pepsi's on campus. First interview slot is at 730. Get down here for this interview. Second semester, freshman year. I mean, think about that. I put on my blue suit, tie, ran down the street because the phone woke my roommate up and I'm trying to be quiet and I make it down there and I interviewed with a guy named Tom Christopher. And Tom said, love you, your work ethic, things, your background, but we're looking for juniors. If Something happens, we'll bring you through. So that moment there started my trajectory into corporate America. June 12th-ish, I can remember like it was yesterday. My grandmother answers the phone. She calls me out really loud like they do in the old days. I'm in the shower. I hear, 
I come running out, pack your bags. You're going to Tennessee for Pepsi. Flash forward, 19 years old, start my internship, and the rest is history. Pepsi interned twice, uh, and I started on the back of a truck, right? The work ethic. And by doing that, I got to learn every class of trade from the bottom up. So everything I talk about strategy, communicate-wise through my book, Reframe the Marketplace, I've actually touched those bottles of water, teas, isotonics, Pepsi, going into the back rooms to where Pepsi led me to graduate with a degree in marketing at South Carolina State University. Four years at Pepsi, transitioned to business school to Clark Atlanta University. I'm a double HBCU graduate. And then I went on to go to P&G, Procter & Gamble and brand management as an intern in Cincinnati. Then I went into brand management with Miller Brun Company, which is now Molson Coors. I learned television, radio, out of home print from a budgeting standpoint, and then went into corporate strategy at Whirlpool, and then transitioned to tech. Dell in Austin, Texas, changed my life and my career trajectory because it gave me the opportunity to manage what we call econometric modelers. So think math marketing. Think early 2000s. There was this thing called South by Southwest happening in Austin, Texas. But at that particular time, it was 900-some thousand people. This was before the other million people got there. And it was at the right intersection of understanding the role of technology, marketing, advertising, brand, and data. For the first time, I got to understand people based on their attitudes and behaviors, not only their race, identity, and ethnicity. So that propelled my understanding of where the market was going and where the market had come from. Left Dell and went to Sears. And Sears was where it all came together. Because I was in the transformation business then, from old retail to new retail with one of the most historic brands. And so we had a group that basically was responsible for change within Softline. So I did all the marketing, head of marketing for Softlines and getting them to attempt to go from old to new media and marketing. And it was there, it was a pivotal moment because I, my family at the time was stayed in Austin. I commuted between Austin and Chicago. And as I was trying to get back to Austin, a recruiter said, hey, have you ever thought about Ogilvy? I said, Ogilvy, of course. And little known fact, Ogilvy was starting this group called Ogilvy Consulting. In advertising, still somewhat dated at the time, you're talking 2007, digital hadn't really set in at that particular time. And um, I was recruited there to work in a group called Ogilvy Consulting to help organizations go from old to new. See the theme here? And so what I didn't realize is that I now transition into the change management business, not the sales, not the marketing and brand, not corporate strategy, but transformation. And so after about a year, 
I got the question of a lifetime. And oh, buddy, it changed my entire career and my pivot. If David Ogilvie were here, what would the agency look like? I was like, whoa, that's a very deep question, right? David Ogilvie, the godfather of advertising. And at the time, Mad Men was at its all-time high, right? So America knew what advertising was. They knew the history by watching it. They knew the stories by watching Mad Men. My mother and grandmother finally figured out what I did. Oh, you drink martinis during lunch? I says, no, no, that's not. Uh -uh." And so that show became the backdrop of what the industry was. We'll pick up a thread here as we continue our conversation with Jeffrey Bowman, a former senior partner and managing director at Ogilvy and Mather, and take note of the fact that in season one of Mad Men, episode five, the producers use a track from the album by Miles Davis we began with, Kind of Blue. This is Blue in Green. Jeff Hyatt, who manages the Miles Davis online site, imagines a scene he'd like to see in the series. Miles Davis walks into a bar one evening, only to encounter ad man Don Draper. They end up talking about life and love, and then Miles imparts some heavy advice, which helps Don in whatever disarray he's likely going to be in. Jackpot. My purpose, how I grew up, the inequities that I witnessed, writing checks to brands, writing checks to vendor partners on agencies, seeing the divisiveness between general market agencies and multicultural agencies. Now I had an opportunity to fix it. And so with that question came a blueprint for how to solve problems. And so when you think about advertising communications today, nearly half a trillion are spent just in the U.S., 800 million or so globally. Black and brown-owned agencies and women minority agencies get less than 5% of that. In 2023, this was in 2009. And so I went back to look at the history of advertising, marketing, communications, and really how corporations form. And so... Pre-1930s, you think about radio being the dominant format from a media perspective. Really, print was the first, and then radio. And then in the 1950s, a little black box came along, changed everything in terms of how media. But more importantly, you know, when you think about the question of David Ogilvie, we're here, what would the agency look like? It wasn't until, I think, 1956, Culver's, first African-American-owned agency, out of Chicago, but American corporations predominantly employed what they called Negro marketing, really Negro advertising, right? At the time, blacks were called Negroes. And then from there, as you got to late 50s, early 60s, companies were recruiting people to understand this black box and make commercials. It was exploding. So think internet. 1990s, 2000s, but it was for television. You were going from still audio 
to moving images. And so with that, high entry points in terms of coming into the business, because if you enter the business as an owner, you have to pay for that infrastructure and capital. And so what ended up happening when a lot of the black and brown people that entered the space, the early pioneers for black agencies came out of the 60s, but a lot of them had worked in print. A lot of them had worked at majority agencies. And um, a lot of them used the general market framework to form their agencies. And so when you think about pre-1970 census, black and brown had only accounted for 8% of the U.S. population. Eight. 92% white America. America was segregated. And this plays into why we named the book that we did in terms of reframe the marketplace. Up until that point, very few people had solved for how do you transform the notion of a general market agency and a multicultural agency becoming a service provider for what Dell taught me, the total addressable audience. Now, when we talk about the inequity of America, if we specifically talk about industry of advertising and marketing. Every day, half a trillion dollars, corporations spend knowing less than 5% acquire marketing services from women and minority-owned businesses every single day. Now, what most people are beginning to understand because of social media and influencers and is the business of advertising. And so 1970, post-civil rights. America was going from segregated to integrated. Now, 1966, McKinsey writes a white paper that talks about the changing face of marketing. And it was a precursor to helping CEOs understand how to manage what? Change. And what does McKinsey do? Change management. And they were saying the uploadly and mobile black population is now going to integrated schools, which means they'll likely get, some presume, a better education. Let's be honest, that's what they thought at that particular time. Not always the case. And then they would go to college, and then they would fill the hallways of what? Corporate America. So they were going to become a new middle class. And what does that mean to marketers is ding, 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 more money that you don't want your competitors to get. And so as that form, 1970 census comes out, McKinsey writes his white paper, but then in the 1960s, we all know what was happening at that time. Death, assassinations, tension. Sounds familiar? And so as America was grappling with, I'm not at this new minority integrating with the majority, Kennedy assassination, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, CEOs was no, we're not going to choose the integrated approach to marketing. We're going to choose the segregated approach to marketing, which meant that you were going to have this new practice of marketing to minorities called what? Multicultural marketing. This new practice for bringing new diverse talent into organizations, and we're going to call that diversity equity, and inclusion. 
since that time, we have not changed. And so when we talk about the idea of reframe, the marketplace, all we're simply saying is that you need to modernize the practice of multicultural marketing and DEI to go from this idea of segregated to integrated to where now corporations who want to grow, corporations who want to attract and retain talent to change the organization. So as a practice, we need to go from segregated to integrated, integrated to actually change the structures, the systems, solutions, the segments of everything from an experience standpoint and from a financial standpoint. Jeffrey would like us to meet someone he feels is a living, breathing example of the new majority, minorities turned majority. Like today's new generation of consumers, Javier grew up with a mosaic of cultural influences as part of his experiential DNA. He is the child of Ecuadorian immigrants, and he grew up in West Harlem in New York City, which was and is a predominantly African-American neighborhood. He can switch from Spanish to English at the drop of a dime, rap a Jay-Z verse, or a classic salsa hook, and feels just as at home in a boardroom as a nightclub. Javier is also whip-smart and driven with an inborn gift for promotion. He turned that into a heterogeneous mix of academic and business success, graduating from Columbia Business School, starting a hip-hop magazine, and working for Accenture, J.P. Morgan Chase, Viacom, and PepsiCo. Along the way, he's ridden his gift for creativity and change management. That led him to Verizon, where he's putting all of his disparate experiences and talents to work to turn the battleship around. Javier has responsibility for cultural engagement in the Verizon Argo. When he walked in the doors, he found an organization set up very much along the typical general market, multicultural market divide. The company had the traditional black, Hispanic, and Asian human resources resource groups and bucketed its customer base the same way. In his book, Reframe the Marketplace, Jeffrey points out that even though Javier works in marketing and he's technically responsible for the multicultural segment, that's not what he sees as being his job. And his boss, Diego Scotti, agrees. Both want to use their remits to transform Verizon's business into a leader for the next generation, not just this one. And that means transforming the whole enterprise, not just the marketing department. Transform the whole department, Jeffrey? People are terrified of change. <laughs> well, we go back to the original question of the thesis. If David Ogilvie were here, what would the agency look like? Well, America, corporations, public and private institutions, media, they all change from old to new when it came to digitalization. And so who uses digitalization? People. So if the people are changing, then the people that you're servicing your goods and services to are going to shift your attitudes and prefaces. So if you don't change as a company, will you be around? So this is an idea of future-proofing your business to a once 
an um, human event. Ever since humans have been around, there's always been this majority population. So for the first time ever, was once the minority globally, not just U.S., will be the majority population by 2045. So what does that mean? Change or else? That simple. You're sitting in the chair where you are because we've invited you to come to talk about what you've discovered and laid out for us there, how that can address the situation with arts and culture in our lives. Yeah. I mean, if you're only focused on race, identity, and ethnicity, you're two steps away, meaning insight-wise, you have to get attitude and behavior-based insights because everybody's chasing what? Neuro-based today. And that is AI. And so when you talk to me and you say, well, we really want to understand just who they are and based on their race identity, I was like, whoa, that's so 1960. You know, we've like gotten better with technology. We're doing AI. I think we need to minimum do attitudes and behavior base, right? Because that's when you get insight and understand people, who they are beyond their race. We're not talking post-racial, but we're getting deeper primary insights to understand their commonalities and their differences. Now, within the workplace, the thing that was missing in terms of going beyond DNI as a practice was this idea of how culturally mature you are. And so that's what I'm going to introduce to you. And then we'll take you through the change operating system that should be applicable. And to you guys who really want to make change and impact, I say to anyone in this space on both sides of the aisle, it's doable. America's seen so many other hard places and we've overcome them and now is that time again for us to show the world in terms of how it should be done jeffrey l bowman co-founder and ceo of reframe he's a two-time award-winning wiley author and a former senior partner and managing director at olgavi and mather in new york city where he pioneered the industry's first cross-cultural practice, modernizing the marketing and communications industry. And he is a national arts and cultural consultant, which led to WVIA's inviting him to be the keynote speaker for the Art Scene Conference this past September here at the Public Media Studios. In addition to being the keynote speaker at the Art Scene Conference, Jeffrey also took part in a panel discussion, which was recorded here and which will air on Keystone Edition Arts this evening at 7 on WVIA-TV. You can also watch Keystone Edition Arts on our website, wvia.org, and on the WVIA app. It's Creative Relationships in a Diverse World this evening at 7, wvia.org. We stream live online, stream live online, and you can us on the WVIA app. For more information about Jeffrey Bowman and his work, get reframe.com. Get reframe.com, R-E-F-R-A-M-E. And Jeffrey Bowman is spelled B-O-W-M-A-N. That's this evening at 7 on WVIA's Keystone Edition Arts the TV show monthly devoted to arts and culture. Thank you to Jeffrey Bowman and to Mindy Kronk 